Well, welcome to Grace Online. It is good to have you joining us today. My name is Pastor David. I'm the pastor here at Grace Covenant of Adult Discipleship as well as Family Ministries. It's so good having you. We're continuing the series on the parables today. And specifically, we're going to focus in on a parable that we find in Mark chapter 7. You see, the parables aren't just stories, but riddles to be unlocked and word pictures to help us gain understanding of the principles of God's kingdom. You know, one of the reasons why I love the parables is these are stories that Jesus begins to tell in the midst of real life moments and circumstances where he draws some intimate truths for us to learn and specifically his disciples as he's spending time with them. So this morning, it's always, it's always nice to enter into these discussions or conversations about the parables because of those truths. I want to talk about at least two specific events that are leading up to Mark chapter 7 where we find this parable that we're going to go over today. And, and we see the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. And then the next story we see in Mark is Jesus walking on water. These are incredible, miraculous stories that unfold right before the parable that we're going to talk about today. After this happens, the Pharisees come along and they're wanting just to see what Jesus is doing. I'm sure they're hearing the stories about what just took place, right? Feeding 5,000 people with such little food and then Jesus walking on water. Well, they come into town to see Jesus. And the thing that they see, the thing that they notice is the fact that the disciples begin to eat food without going through the proper ritual or tradition of washing their hands. The Bible doesn't say they didn't wash their hands. It just says the Pharisees were caught up in the fact they didn't follow the traditions or the ritual of washing their hands before they eat. And the Pharisees, of course, bring this to Jesus's attention. Let me read Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 15, and then we're going to jump just a verse to 17 to 23. And this is what it says. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, Envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So Jesus is making a point to focus in on what is coming from our hearts. When the Pharisees were so concerned about the fact that when the disciples didn't wash their hands, they were saying or claiming that the food that they were eating going into their stomach would defile them or make them unclean. Jesus brings our attention to the fact that it's not what goes into our body or our stomach. That's not what defiles us. He's kind of breaking away from some of the law that they were so hung up on. Here, Jesus begins to bring our attention and our focus on what comes from our heart. It's that which defiles us. So have you, have you ever thought 
I can't believe I just said that. Or I don't know where that came from. How about this? I can't believe, I can't believe I just did that. Or this. Man, that's, that's just not like me at all. Since the first sin in the Garden of Eden, man has been in conflict with sin nature. The world went from a state of perfection to a state of brokenness. Man went from a perfect relationship with God to a relationship that is at the least distracted and at the most destroyed by sin. The corrupt heart of man is in great need of grace and redemption. See, as I was going through preparing for this message, I was actually set free in in a few different areas that I'm glad to cover today because I began to see how Jesus was describing our heart or the condition of our heart. And certainly God describes this as well. God tells us in Proverbs 4.23 to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. In Jeremiah 17.9, God tells us that the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So hold on, I don't want us to get discouraged yet because after reading that, it's like, well, what hope do I have if that's the condition of our heart? Well, see, that's the, the reason that God sent his son Jesus for us was because he understood that from the fall of man, since we, we saw that first sin enter into this world, that that became the condition of our heart. And Jesus was sent an act of God's grace and love and compassion to, to redeem us, to save us. So what Jesus is telling us, what he's telling the disciples is this, that what's inside will eventually come out. Let me say that again. What's inside will eventually come out. At times, it's due to our depraved nature, right? We just discussed that. From the fall of man, from that first sin, our heart became corrupt. So sometimes it's just due to our fallen and depraved nature. At times, it's due to the choices that we make. Certainly all of us that are watching have made choices that uh, separate us from our attention from God or our attention of God. At times, it's due to the emotional, mental, and or physical injury we experience. We want to draw attention to this because sometimes what we experience in life isn't because of a choice and it's not because of a sin. It's because of outside influences or experiences that have actually come against us to cause us harm, whether that's emotionally or mentally or physically. And those are things that we certainly have to deal with. But those things cause our hearts to react in certain ways. And that's what we want to talk about today. So Mark 17 through 23 reveals some pretty awful things that come from within. This is the sinful nature we are saved from and set free from. Let's look at Galatians five nineteen to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Galatians 5, 19 to 21, again, it's kind of reiterating what Jesus tells us of the condition of man's heart. 
So that is what lies within us, and what's within us will eventually come out. The condition of our heart makes the need for grace and salvation extremely clear to us. We see this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, and all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So what's inside will eventually come out. And the Bible's pretty clear. God's word is clear about what's inside. So we do have hope because there's transformation. So how do we change what's inside? The first thing is this. Experience transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Listen, that should give us hope. In fact, that should give you hope about those around you. The Bible is saying, God's telling us that though we have this sinful nature and that's been there since the fall of man, when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, we become a new person. Listen, I think we need to focus in on that word new. It doesn't just say changed, and it, just, it doesn't say just different. It says we become a new person. See, that's hopeful for us because that means that I kind of start from scratch. I know that's hard to understand in our humanity because when somebody does something against me or to offend me, I don't necessarily wipe the slate clean, but God is telling us in his word that when we come to know and recognize who Jesus is, that we become a new person. God's word declares that we become a new person. This truth is the catalyst for transformation. So the first thing there is we, we need to experience transformation. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So that transformation, as we become a new person, the transformation begins in our life where we become more and more like Jesus, that we reflect his glorious image. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 is telling us, that this experience of transformation takes us through this process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I love what Andy Stanley said. He said this, what God begins at the moment of our salvation is not completed in that same moment. Clearly stating that when we come to know Jesus and we experience this salvation, the process of transformation isn't completed in that very moment, in that one moment. It's a process that takes place over time. In fact, we would call that sanctification. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're experiencing transformation, not just in the moment of salvation, but every moment that follows salvation. So that's the first thing. We have to experience transformation. So the second point today is live with a filter. We see this in Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9. And it says this, 
And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So though the, the word of God describes the condition of our heart, what we see in Philippians 4, 8, 9 is there's something different there for us, and that is the Holy Spirit. This filter that I'm talking about today is the person of the Holy Spirit who was sent to us as a gift to help us, to empower us to live out this transformation experience of becoming more and more like Jesus. So though the condition of our heart is what's described in God's word is, is, is pretty bad and corrupt, the Holy Spirit is sent to us so that we could live differently than what is perhaps even in our heart as, as a result of our sin nature. I have a quick illustration that I'd like to go through today that points out the need of this filter. I have with me just a, a small container of dirt and there's some debris in here that you'll see. This is just dirt that I went behind the building here and I dug up just for the purpose of the illustration. I also have a container of water. And what is called an eco straw or a life straw, depending on the brand. And this is what this little device does. I've actually used this on a missions trip. Uh, I've, I've used it just hiking, but I tell you, this morning as I, as I do it, I was explaining earlier to some that were around that it's a little unnerving because this is the first time I've actually done this kind of in a voluntary way. This device is a filter. And it actually has several different filters in this small tube. So what you're going to see is I have the capability of, and I'm going to do this hopefully without making an extreme mess all over the place. I'm going to pour the dirt inside the container. And this is just, this is just water in the container. That's probably enough. It's pretty, it's pretty dirty. So I'll just kind of let that move around just a little bit to, to mix it up some. And some of you are like, oh, no, he's not going to do this. (laughs) Yes, I am. And I'm actually going to drink this. And I know some of you are not liking that idea, but here we go. Well, there it is. Not bad. I might have to brush my teeth in just a few moments. But here we have this, this container that's full of all sorts of debris and dirt. This acting as the filter, and this is what I want to focus on. When we begin to live as if the Holy Spirit is our filter, The condition of our hearts may be something that's corrupt, but as we live out this transformation experience and become more and more like Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us that even though some of those things might be inside, and and I'll talk a little more about that in just a moment, they don't come out. If you remember back to the parable, Jesus said it's what comes out of our hearts 
that defiles us. So the filter really keeps those things that are within at times, it keeps that from coming out. Now listen, that is the personhood of the Holy Spirit. That is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as he works and moves in our lives so that we can become more and more like Jesus. That's the whole point of that filter. It's because God understands the condition of our hearts. He understood it enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for us. He understood it enough to send the Holy Spirit as this gift that would enable us and empower us to live like Jesus, to have this relationship with God that we couldn't have otherwise. As our hearts are being transformed, the things that could defile us will begin to surface. That's what Jesus was saying. The Holy Spirit will act as a filter to keep our words and our actions Christ-like. Though the condition of our heart continues to be transformed, it's a process. We are empowered to display the fruits of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians 5. So we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, we don't have time to go back to our, our reference in Galatians or even the story that Jesus was telling us as he described the condition of our hearts. But I think you very quickly recognize that as I read off the fruits of the spirit, that's quite different than what the Bible even describes as the condition of our hearts. Why would we have to guard our hearts if this, the fruits of the spirit, were the things that were coming out? Well, they can if we're enacting this filter in our life, and that is the Holy Spirit. One of the things I used to battle within was guilt and shame when, when I messed up and specifically if, if I would respond to something harshly or even in anger. I remember so many times just asking God, God, where did that come from? Because that's not who I am and that's certainly not who I want to be. But I would experience this guilt and shame when I would respond in a harsh way or, or in anger. Listen, I'm not saying that I'm 100% positive that we allow outside influences. Let me restate that. I am 100% positive that we allow outside influences to motivate us to sin. However, the Bible lets us know that even without those outside influences, our hearts can be motivated by a nature that has already been redeemed. So we talked about earlier some of the things that come from the outside that would influence us, whether that be emotional harm and tragedy in our past, the choices that we make. So listen, I'm not saying in this that those outside influences don't motivate us to sin. I'm just saying with the absence of outside influences, the Bible is describing or has described the condition of our heart. But Jesus is telling us that those things don't have to come out and defile us. And he sent the Holy Spirit to us so that they wouldn't. The third thing is this. And I know everybody's going to jump on board when I say, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, listen to this, of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
Thank God for his grace. Did you catch that? The privilege that we experience is undeserved. That's because of grace. We will mess up. In our humanity, things will come from within that defile us. But God's grace cleanses and redeems. Grace is undeserved and it cannot be earned. Listen to this quote. In grace, God gives nothing less than himself. Grace is not a third thing or substance mediating between God and sinners, but is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. So we have this experience of transformation. We have the Holy Spirit who begins to to filter the things within. But then we have to thank God for grace because there's going to be times when we mess up. If you're sitting in the room with anyone else, chances are they've messed up. I've messed up today in some of the things that I've, I've thought, some of the things that I've expressed. But God's grace has come to cleanse and redeem even that. So I say again, we thank God for his grace. I'm so thankful for a God who found me broken and unclean and still chose to send his son to redeem me. I'm so thankful that God who found me like this cleanses and redeems and empowers me to become more like Jesus moment by moment. Listen, our cultural environment today, it is more important than ever that we show the world who Jesus is. Today, as we close, I want to spend just a few moments to reflect on what has come from your heart recently. Maybe if we go back to those questions that I mentioned early on, where we've thought, I can't believe that I've said that, or I can't believe that I just did that, or where did that come from? Maybe recently you've, you've done some things or said some things where that was your response. Where did that come from? Do the things you say and do reflect the image of Jesus? Could we spend just a few moments reflecting on the things that we've currently experienced in our life that we might have had to ask those questions, where did it come from? Why, did, why would I have done that or why would I have said that? Again, thanking God for his grace and that he redeems and cleanses us. But we can take care of some of those things this morning. The point here is this, that we move from those things that could come from us or from within and defile us to living moment by moment like Jesus. To be Jesus to the world around us that's caught up in, in circumstances that are causing fear and anxiety and, and stress. Just the cultural environment that we're in today. Could we be the Jesus that those around us are looking for? Could we present the hope and the love and the grace that those are looking for? Let's take a few moments to do that and then I'll close this in prayer. Thank you God for who you are and how much you love us. Thank you so much that's why we weren't perfect. In fact, while we were at our lowest, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank you, Jesus, for being an example of how we can live, showing compassion and mercy, grace and love to those around us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being an active part in our life, empowering us to live as Jesus lived, reflecting the, the glory of the Lord. God, I pray for each of us today. That as we struggle with those things inside, even understanding how your word describes the condition of our hearts, that we would live with a hope knowing that we can present and display Jesus who is, in, who is your son to those around us, to the world that is grieving and looking for hope around us. Lord, thank you for the continued process of transformation 
in our lives. We worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.